Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Farm Life and Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Amy Bell. Hello, and welcome back to Farm Life and Freedom, where we are cultivating a free life. Today, our episode is going to be kind of a two-part deal. I'm going to be talking, as promised, about how to get going on your gardening once you've already got your plants in the ground. You raised them from seedlings or maybe you bought some at the local nursery and you transplanted them into your garden. And now you want to make sure that you're off to a good start by continuing the right practices going forward. So we're going to talk about several of those. The second part of today's podcast is going to be more on the lines of parenting. And it's having to do with something that went on this past week. And I wanted to point out, um, I may step on some toes. And if I do, I, well, I'm not sorry. And I'll, I'll explain in just a bit. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and get started with the the gardening issue. Okay, so you've raised your seedlings from seeds, or maybe you went to the nursery and purchased some. Well, what do you do now, right? You want to make sure that you're not only off to a great start, but getting a really smooth situation going for your planting and gardening season. So that's what we're going to talk about. I've got a few key points here that I want to go over. And I'm going to start with the planting and transplanting. I do have my notes here today. Make sure I don't get off track. (laughs) But we're going to start with the very beginning. So you've already done your seedlings. They're ready to go. When you first transplant them, one of the first things that you want to do is the hardening off process. Now, some people don't really do this process, or maybe they do a really quick version of it. And depending on your climate, depending on where you're from, maybe depending on where you were housing your seedlings to begin with, you might not need as much as some other people in in different parts of the country. If you are growing in a little bit colder climate or maybe a climate that has more fluctuation from daytime to nighttime, This is something you're really going to want to pay close attention to. A lot of people lose plants when they plant them because they didn't harden them off. Now, what does hardening off mean? It's when you are easing your delicate little plants into the atmosphere, for lack of a better term, really. When you grow your seedlings indoors, when you get them started indoors, they're used to a climate-controlled environment probably grow lights and that kind of thing. And you want to make sure that when they transition to the outdoors, they're ready to handle that. And one of the ways that you do that is by taking them out for a a few hours at a time over the process of maybe a week or so. You put them out for a little while. First, you start them off maybe kind of in a shaded area, but feeling the temperature. You put them back inside. Then the next day, you take them back out and maybe get them into some sun. But watch them closely. You don't want them to to wilt. You don't want them to burn. And you want to make sure that maybe they're blocked by, you know, as far as for heavy winds. You want to make sure nothing's going to be out there to damage them as they are getting used to their new environment. I personally grow mine in a greenhouse. Now, I will say this, because of our greenhouse expansion this year, I had to start my seeds this year inside the house. They were taken over everywhere. They were in the house, in the she shed. They were just kind of a little bit of everywhere. And so that did put me in that category. When I moved them from my house to my greenhouse, I had to take extra special care because now my greenhouse is not climate controlled. What I will tend to do is leave my greenhouse open. So they are getting the airflow. They're getting the temperature from the outside. It's not quite such a big fluctuation. Now, they do get sun in my greenhouse 
all day long. They're not ever really in a shaded position when they're in the greenhouse. And I do have fans to blow on them and to kind of simulate wind. So when I transplant, unless it's the most delicate of plants, then I don't have to do as much in the hardening off process. Decide on it based on your climate. Decide on it based on your plants. That's one of the things. The other thing in this beginning part is being sure that when you plant your seedlings, you plant them properly. Now, what I mean by that, you've heard me say before, do your research. Individual plants require different kinds of care. So when you're going to plant them, obviously you want to plant them in the right spot, right? You want to plant them into soil that's going to accept them readily. You make sure you do your testing for your pH, make sure you've got good organic matter in the the beds with them. But you also want to make sure that they're in a spot where they've got you know adequate sun for that particular kind of plant. So you want to make sure you do your research and know that where you're putting your plants is the right spot for them. And as far as like the depth, my tomato plants, I plant a lot deeper. I pull off the bottom leaves and I dig a deeper hole and I sometimes I'll lay them down sideways in the hole. Make sure that a lot of that stem gets covered. I mean, they just have a little bit sticking up when they first start, just to make sure that they've got enough down there to give them a good, strong root system. And so different, different plants require different planting techniques. So you want to make sure that you've got all of that under control. Now, some plants, you'll want to plant specific things in with them. Now, I'm not talking about the companion planting from last week. And while that is really important, one of the things that you're going to want to think about is, are there other amendments that need to go in the hole with them? And I'm just going to give you this one example. Every year when I plant my tomatoes, I dig a a much deeper hole, bigger hole than normal. And this is the way I do it. I, I layer. I dig the hole. I sprinkle some Epsom salts in the bottom of the hole. And then I put dirt over that because while I want my tomatoes to get the benefit of the Epsom salt, I do not want them to touch the Epsom salts. So I don't want it to just lay directly against the roots. It could burn them. Okay, so then on top of that, I add bone meal and I add aspirin. And then I sprinkle a little bit of baking soda in there. And then I put my tomato in and put all the soil over it, tamp it in. And then, of course, after I'm done, I give it a good water. Now, that's my particular process for planting tomatoes. And everyone has different things that they do, little tips and tricks. That's just one of them. But that's to give you the example that each individual plant needs certain things. And so when you get them planted, you want to get them off to a good start by making sure they start out with the things that they need. Adding things like your compost or or what have you, anything that that particular plant needs, be sure and and get it started that way. Okay, so now we're we're past that part. The plants are in the ground and what's next, right? Okay, so I'm going to talk about a few things. For one, I'm going to talk about mulching. Mulching is very important, and there's a lot of different things that you can use to mulch, but it's absolutely an important thing to consider when you're getting your plants planted and getting everything off to a good start. Mulching does a couple of different things. For one, it obviously holds on to the moisture level It doesn't allow the sun to bake it out quite so quickly, so you don't have to water as often. And there's not such a fluctuation in moisture levels for your plants, which is important, especially when they're first getting started. You don't want to throw them off into the sun and the wind and possible rain and whatever, and then they'll also have to go through the fluctuation of, you know, wet and dry and wet and dry. So you just want to get them off to a good start, and mulch is one of those ways that you can accomplish that. And, of course, then also there's the idea behind mulch as far as weed suppression goes. I mean, who wants to pick weeds? I know I don't. 
it's part of the process. I have to remind myself of that every year. <laughs> weeding comes with gardening, and I love gardening, so I have to be willing to do the weeding. But I like to keep it down as much as possible. Okay, so I try to keep my weeding to a minimum. So in order to do that, I don't use any kind of herbicides or anything like that because then it would potentially get into my plant. So I use things that can hide the sun from them, may just block nutrients or whatever, trying to keep them from growing. I'll give you a few examples. Wood chips, that's a normal mulch that a lot of people use. You have to be careful about which kind that you're using because a lot of them tend to leach the nitrogen out of the ground, and you don't want that. Straw is a good one. Now, this is not to be confused with hay. Hay is a no-no, okay? It's got the seed heads in it. It will ab. You will grow hay right in your vegetable garden. Do not use hay, but use straw. Straw is the crispy part that's left over like from wheat or rice or whatever. After they thresh it, straw is the part that it's just, it's like bedding for animals. And that's a good one to use. We use straw a lot in our mulching and we also use it in our bedding. <laughs> so that's a good product to keep on hand. Plastic mulch is one, laying a layer of like black plastic over an area like before you plant, that helps a lot. It will help to heat up the soil for one and get you know, your soil warm and ready for your plants. It will also um, keep the weed heads from germinating. It will not stop weed seeds from getting thrown onto there and growing on top of it. So you want to be careful of what you put on top of the plastic mulch if that's what you choose to use. Leaves are really good and then they decompose and add to the soil. That's terrific. Something else that does that is newspaper. It's a great way to go. Our local newspaper, we typically go and buy the old papers by the bundle and they're really cheap and you can layer them up and put over your soil and, and everything, like around your plants. But you're going to want to put something else over that because once it's dry, it'll blow away and you don't want that. Adding straw or, or wood chips or something over the top of that is great. The newspaper really does help suppress the weeds. Cardboard does the same thing. And that's great, especially in walkways. Ours are, I, I tend to build mine fairly small. We have well, large beds, small walkways in a lot of our areas. That's just to be able to maximize the use space. And cardboard is a really great thing to put down in layers underneath the, the planting beds or in layers on your um, walkway. It will help suppress weeds. And, you know, a lot of times you, you do a great job of mulching on the beds themselves, you know, around the plants. But then you don't do anything to suppress the weeds in your walkways, and they just climb right on into your beds. So you want to watch that. Okay, so that's the mulching. It'll help you with water conservation, and it'll also help with the weed suppression. The next thing we're going to talk about is fertilizing. This is important. You might have really great soil. You might have you know, very nutritious soil. But when you plant and throughout the season, your plants will be soaking up all those nutrients and it will deplete what you have in the ground if you aren't taking care of adding back to it. There are lots of different ways to fertilize. And um, I was just going to kind of go through a few of them. You, know, you can go to the, I guess, the garden center or whatever, and there's you can find all different kinds of fertilizers. And they're not ever cheap. <laughs> I mentioned before, I garden naturally. It's an easy way to garden. It really is. It's a less expensive way to garden and less stressful, I would say. However, if you decide to use something like miracle Grow or whatever, just use it as the package recommends. And, and I guess it's a continual process. I think I've read those packages. They're you know, every two or three weeks or whatever, you'll want to keep up the process because your plants will deplete the nutrients that are there. However, there's some really great natural 
um, and organic options here. So I wanted to go over a few of those. At liquid seaweed is one. It provides so many nutrients. That's a great way to go. My favorite, I'll be honest with you, my favorite is fish emulsion. I use it on everything. You can buy it at the garden center or you can make your own. You've you got to have a strong stomach. I will say that, especially if you want to make your own. You've got to have a strong stomach. But if you don't want to do that, you can buy it. And it comes in as just a plastic container and, and it's a concentrate. So you mix it up in your water containers and go and pour it d- directly on the, you know, the individual plants. It's not one that you stick on a water hose and spray everywhere. But the fish emulsion, the reason I like that, it's pretty broad. Everything tends to respond well to it. I haven't had anything so far that does not respond well to the fish emulsion as fertilizer, except for me. I do not like the smell. (laughs) I made the mistake of over-fertilizing inside my greenhouse a few years ago, and it was hard to walk in there even for a few minutes for several days. (laughs) Best to do that outside or in small amounts. That's just, you know, tip of the day. Here's a few others. Bone meal. That is something that's terrific. I put it in with my tomatoes. It's something that's terrific to use on your garden beds. It adds phosphorus. And it's a great way to go for a natural amendment to your soil. It's a great way to fertilize. Blood meal is another one. It adds nitrogen. And if you put the bone meal and blood meal together, they, you know, they're a, a great team in adding uh, nutrients to your plants. And worm castings. If you have the ability, the space and everything to raise worms, jump on it because there is just not a better product that you can make. I mean, right there with a source that is, you know, it's constantly reproducing and adding more. It's a terrific thing. It's such a nutrient-rich fertilizer, I guess you'd say. It's just a fertilizer. It's fantastic. Add it to your plants. Add it around your plants. Add it to your compost. It's wonderful. And then, of course, compost. Obviously, that is, you know, something that you can make by yourself throwing all your scraps in there so you're not throwing them away. You're making your own compost. You can add it to your soil and you can side dress your plants with it. And it's a terrific way to grow. Once it is completely composted, you can just throw it right on top of your soil, right next to your plants. And and it'll just sit there and do a basically a slow release fertilizer type of a deal. I'm, I'm going to mention one other. Now, I'm going to say I'm not being paid by any companies. I'm just going to tell you one that I've found that I really like. It's called Elm Dirt. I found it on Facebook of all places. I saw an ad for it and I started researching and, and going into it. This was last year. I ordered one just to see if it did what they said. And I tested it out. You see what it says it does. And I, I'm going to mess this word up. Because I still don't, I still have no clue how to say it. <laughs> um, it mycorrhizal, it's something like that. It it um, boosts the bacteria activity within the roots. It it makes them pump up. It's like I don't know steroids for plants or something, but it's natural, and it really does make their root growth fantastic. And you know, it said that it did that. But, you know, commercials, especially on Facebook, you just never know. So I tested some out. And I had gone through in my greenhouse, just to my seedlings, and I had added some. And a few days later, I went in to move some of my seedlings, getting ready for hardening off. And I picked up a tray of seedlings, and they were stuck. (laughs) And I looked down, and there was masses of root growth beneath the seedling cups the the holders and i mean i was just amazed i literally had to cut away the the four inch pot from my plants so that i wouldn't rip all their roots off before i planted them so 
it works. And I just received my new case of it so I can get things going out in the garden with that same stuff. So I'm going to give that a go for transplants, you know, when I first get everything planted. And then always throughout the season, I'll be using fish emulsion because I know for certain that works. So that gives you several different options for a natural uh, fertilizer and ways to keep your plants healthy throughout the season. Like I said, as the season goes, your plants will be depleting your earth of all the various nutrients that they need. You will need to continuously add back, not in huge amounts, just in normal, regular, everyday amounts. You're going to add a little bit every two or three weeks. It just really just depends on what you're adding and what you're adding it to. And of course, you want to take your cues from your plants. Be aware of what they look like and any changes that they're experiencing, you know, discoloration or wilting or anything like that. Sometimes wilting isn't a water issue. Sometimes it's a nutrient issue. But, you know, pay attention to their signs, I guess, to know what to do. The next thing I want to mention is water catchment and um, water irrigating and that kind of thing. Every plant needs water and, you know, some more than others. So when we're planting our garden, we have this. So one of the beginning things that we want to plan is the water. I, I always mention that. People say, you know, well, why are you planning water? There's water. You know, everyone has a water hose or whatever. But that's not necessarily the best way to go. If it's your only option, then, you know, there's ways around that as well. If you are on well water, then have at. I mean, there's nothing being added to your well water, I, I would assume. So if you've got a good well, then you can just water directly, and that's terrific. Those of us who have to have rural water or city water, heaven forbid, there's always additives. Chlorine is one. I will if I have to, but I don't like having to use water directly from the water hose straight onto the plants. It's not healthy for them. I mean, it's not like it, it'll kill them right away, but it won't help them grow. One of the things that you can do, however, is put the water into a barrel out in the sun and let it sit there for 24 hours. The chlorine will go away and then you can water your plants with it. Now, I mentioned on, I think, my last episode that we have a natural pool and that's the water that I use to water my plants. It doesn't have any chlorine in it and we have fish in there. So it has fish stuff in it. Plus, it, it, we've got plant life in there. And so it's all part of the little ecosystem that I've built up in there. And it's got healthy water. And I use that as much as I can to water my gardens. Of course, we have a lot of gardens and I, I scatter them about. They're kind of a little bit of everywhere. So I can't feasibly pump that to every area of my gardens as easily as what I originally thought I might be able to do. But so there's other ways to do it. Recently, last year, year four, we added a water catchment system to our greenhouse. And basically all it amounted to was gutters and downspouts directed into a big water container and which would, you know, hold the water and then a with a water hose coming out of the bottom of it to where we can water whatever was nearby. So we can add water that we catch for free, you know, on our barn or on our animal village or the she shed and hold on to that for watering. That way that we know there's no chemicals in it. It's something that is coming from the sky to begin with and, and we can use it there. There's good ways to do that. And if you want to check out Two Oaks Farm Talk, I've got some tutorials on there as well, probably under the gardening or the building sections. One of the other things that you can do with watering, especially if you have a well, is work on like drip irrigation and that kind of thing. It's a system, obviously, you've probably seen it in lots of different places. It's a system where you can hook certain things, uh, the pressure regulator and whatnot, to where it, it takes your water from a spigot down into a little system of little teeny tiny water hoses. <laughs> and they can go off into little attachments 
that spray water or drip water or to where it sprays a small area or it drips to an individual plant. Um, and that's really terrific, especially if your watering is spread out. It helps a lot being able to do that. I know if we have to hand water, and when I say hand water, I mean with a water hose. If we have to hand water all of our various garden areas, it's an, it's an all-day process. And if I had to do that every single day, I, I would pull my hair out. That would be horrible. I would never get anything else done. So we actually do have, in some areas, we have drip irrigation lines set up so that I can go and turn this on and let it go while I'm over watering something else just to make things a little bit less time consuming. And it does help to be able to direct the water specifically to the plants where I need them instead of spraying everything. But I will say this, if that's what you've got, then do that. You know, those overhead, the kind that I went, grew up with, the overhead sprinklers that just kind of, you know, do this. I don't have good luck with them. I tend to run through a couple of seasons <laughs> in some areas because, for whatever reason, but they will work just fine. And here's another little tip. People, when you start researching plants and especially when you get into the weeds on it, you know, they start talking about, oh, never, ever water the leaves, only water the base. Sometimes that's not practical. And that doesn't seem natural to me because without us, plants are watered with rain, right? And rain comes from overhead and it gets on the leaves. And all these plants have survived all these years with rain. So I, I wouldn't get too intensely stressed over getting water on your plant's leaves because rain does that too. What I would look out for in those situations is airflow because it doesn't matter if your leaves get wet as long as they dry back off, right? Well, if your plants are really squished up together, then there's not enough airflow to dry them off quickly. And then problems can happen, mildew and, and what have you. And it can cause disease. Well, for instance, on tomatoes, I prune them and I prune them heavy to allow for airflow. That's a pretty important thing. And we'll talk about that later, probably in the next couple of episodes, I will be adding in and um, pruning and trellising of tomatoes. Very important. But back to the watering. Um, if, if all you've got is the overhead, run with it. Your plants need water regardless. Okay, something else on the watering. You want to water based on the type of plant it is. Um, we talked previously about researching your plants because when you're companion planting or anything, when you're laying out your gardens, you don't want to put a plant that really likes dry feet next to a plant that really likes wet feet because they will not work out together. One will drown or one will dry up. So you want to make sure that you take care of that and you know what your plant's needs are. But also, when you are watering, you don't want to have to water every day. You want to get it down to kind of a, a, a schedule, a routine. And if you do deep waterings a couple times a week, depending on the plant, that's way, way better than topical waterings every day. If you just water really shallow, your plants will go towards the roots, will go towards that water and they will develop really shallow roots. And that's not good. That's not strong. It doesn't make your plants strong. And it's something that you definitely want to um, try to stay away from, try to avoid water deep. You know, I, don't, I remember there's a, there's a trick that it's widespread. I used to do it, and I haven't in a while, but just because of the way my beds are set up. But like, for instance, with tomatoes, when you're planting your tomatoes, you can plant a container down in the ground, just you know, deep in the ground around where their roots are going to be. 
that one that will seep water or that you can poke holes in. People used to use the two liter bottles, like soda bottles, and you poke holes in it down lowish and you just fill it up with the water hose. You just fill it up, you know, when it comes time to water and it seeps out down low. So the roots will go down low seeking that water and that helps them develop a stronger root system. That's what you want. But little tips like that you can find, you know, when you're researching, you know, caring of your plants. So another one that I'll mention is the soaker hose. That's terrific. Using a soaker hose is really good if you leave it on for an extended period of time. Because just turning it on for a little while, it may look like the area is wet, but it's not soaking down deep enough. I believe soaker hoses are terrific, but you have to do them for a long, you know, a longer period of time. Okay, last but not least, in what the things that you can do for taking care of your garden throughout the season, and it's the most hated one. It's the one that you don't even want to think about, much less do, but it's something that you have to consider, and that's weeding. I've mentioned before about the mulching and all that, trying to keep weeds from starting to begin with. You know, you don't want to plant into a bed of weeds, so you want to start off (laughs) weed-free, but you're going to get weeds. It's part of gardening, and it could be because they're coming up from underneath, or it could just be because a seed blew in, I mean, from the neighbors or while you were mowing, and they're going to get there and they're going to get started. There are lots of great tools to make the weeding less intensive, but I'll tell you what I do. I mean, I've got all the tools. I use all the tools. I do whatever I can, but I try not to stress over it. Every time I walk past a group of beds, I will stop and pick up a few weeds and then I will move on. I will feel content that I picked up some weed. I stopped those in their tracks. Pull them out from the root, guys. Do not just pull the top off. But I picked those up. Well, then the next time I walk through there, I'll pick a different section and I'll just grab a few weeds from there. I'll grab what I see, unless, of course, it's completely overrun, then I may consider fire. But it is incredibly important to go ahead and attack those weeds little by little as you go. Don't wait for them to take over an area because they will choke out your plants and you will not have a good harvest. So anyway, those are several different things that you can do to make sure that, you know, after you've got your plants planted, that they have a good run throughout the season. I hope you guys have a fantastic gardening season. I hope to hear about it too. I want to hear about the giant pumpkins and the zucchini that you've got coming out your ears. I want to hear all about it. So I I would love for you guys to comment. I would love for you guys to, I mean, you can get on my social media across all the different platforms and you can message me or email me or whatever. Get on um, Two Oaks Farm Talk. That's a great one for referring to for lots of different information. There's terrific information on there about gardening and about farm building and that kind of thing. So good tips and techniques and stuff on there. But we are now going to move to the second portion of this episode on parenting. Now, the reason that I'm talking about this today is because, and you may have heard this past week, there was a horrible thing that happened. Of course, it seems like there's a whole lot of horrible things happening recently. It seems like they're kind of unending right now. But one of the horrible things that happened this past week, we found out that three teens who were murdered down in Florida, they were murdered by three other teens. So we've got kids killing kids. And that's happening so much more often here lately. It seems like, honestly, I look at it and I'm like, these kids are out of control. And in some areas, they definitely are. It's hard to believe that we're in the situation that we are currently in. When I was growing up, this wasn't the kind of thing that 
I mean, if you heard about something like this happening, it was rare. And in these days, it seems like it's constant. Kids are killing kids everywhere. And it's not an accidental shooting. It is an on purpose, I'm just going to kill you type of a deal. But the reason I'm bringing this up is because the sheriff down there, Sheriff Billy Woods, I was watching the news, I guess it was a news uh, brief that he was giving about, I guess, the arrest of two of the teen killers, one of which was 12 years old. I'm not sure how you are in a situation that gets to that point where you have a 12-year-old killer. But he said several things that I wanted to, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read his quotes. I, I'm going to mention these things because he did and because it was, somebody needs to, and I'm glad he did. Somebody needs to say something about the way things are right now, things that are getting crazy. Kids aren't being held accountable for the stupid things that they do. And yeah, I said stupid. Kids are stupid. Just so you know, I'm a mother of five, and I'm telling you, kids are stupid. They make dumb decisions. Now, it's kind of expected. They're learning, right? All of them make dumb decisions. If it's a small decision that they can learn from and move on, then, you know, that's normal. That's, that's to be expected. And, you know, I always tell my kids, home is safe, but not from me. <laughs> home is safe. Home is where you learn everything that you need to know to grow up and be a good adult. Home is where you want to make your mistakes so that you can learn from them before you're out on your own. And in these situations, I'm afraid that that's, I can't see that it's happening. I'll read you a few of the things that he, that he said, things that caught my ear when I was watching the, the press conference. One of the things that he said is, there are individuals out there viewing who want to blame the one thing that has no ability or capacity to commit the crime itself, and that's the gun. These individuals committed the crime. And, I mean, of course, a lot of us have been screaming that from the rooftops for a long time. We have guns. We shoot guns. We hunt. We protect our family with guns. And they have never once offered to kill anybody for us. Um, I would tell them no if they did. I'm on guard. I'm waiting for them to ask. If they do ask, I will tell them no. But that's not really the argument that I want to talk about today. What I want to talk about is something else that he talked about. And you know, he's in, a, he's in a perfect position to see so much of this. He's the sheriff in a fairly large area. I think it's Ocala, Florida. And he sees a lot of this kind of thing. He sees more than we do. He sees kids killing kids, kids attacking kids, um, kids robbing people and beating people. and. And it's, you hear about it on the news if you listen to the news. Some news. Okay. Okay. Some news. If you know where to look, you hear the, the reporting about all this stuff that's going on. I think some people are completely oblivious to what's going on because they don't pay attention to this kind of stuff. So I'm bringing it to you. About why kids are killing kids, about why we've gotten to a situation where this is the kind of thing that's happening. Here's something that he said. The fact is society fails them. We do not hold our juveniles accountable. We minimize their actions. And he could not be more correct. You see it, especially in the past couple of years, you see it so much. I mean, think about the riots and burning down buildings and 
you know, a lot of this, a lot of this was teenagers. I mean, and young adults, which I don't know you want to call them adults. They were of age, but obviously not very bright and certainly not mature. But they're not being held accountable. They were able to riot and beat people up and kill people and burn down buildings, destroy property, and nothing happened to them because of it. Did they end up in prison? No. They got let out because uh, somebody else raised money. Our vice president helped to raise money to get them out, and nothing ever happens. Okay, as a parent, I'm telling you that if a kid is allowed to get away with something, they will do it again. If, I mean, if, if they choose, you know, they make a bad choice, they, they choose to do something that they know is wrong, or even if they didn't really know that it was wrong in the moment, if they are allowed to just get away with it, they're going to do it again. And then they're going to push the limits because that's what kids do. They will, they will keep pushing and get further and further. And the next thing you know, they've killed somebody. They're, you know, I would say they're rotting in prison, but not currently. The world will come back and bite them in the butt. They won't get away with it forever. There's always somebody meaner. Something else he said. Our school districts, not just here across this state and across this nation, need to stop minimizing the actions of their students. Hold them accountable. That's where the failure is. You know, in my home, my kids get held accountable. When I was growing up, I was held accountable. I was terrified to do anything wrong because I knew what was going to happen. He said something else that I want to point out. He said, I am a father, but here's the one thing my boys know. Growing up, the freaking barber had permission to whip their ass. Guys, where did we go wrong? How did we get so far away from teaching and punishing children for doing something that was wrong? You know, they they made it to where if you if you discipline your child, if you spank them, you could get charged with child abuse. I think it's child abuse not to spank them when they do something wrong, egregiously wrong, especially. You know, I'm not talking you you can't it's hard to spank a teenager's butt. It can be done. But it's hard to do that. However, there's other things that you can do to discipline that child. How do, how do they learn? They learn from discipline. If you just say, you know, you shouldn't do that, they're just going to, okay, and they're going to move on. Guys, you've got to be willing to be the parent. Parents have to be willing to parent their kids. You know, so many parents these days want to be their kid's best friend. And that's great and all, except not while they're kids. When they are the kid and you are the parent, forget being their friend. You do not need to be their friend. You need to be their parent. You need to be the one that they are scared of, <laughs> disappointing, scared of you know, the, the wrath of, you know, what's going to happen if they get in trouble for doing something that they're not supposed to be doing. I'm great friends with my daughter now that she's an adult. But she thought I was the spawn of Satan. <laughs> Actually, she was the spawn of Satan. <laughs> when my daughter was growing up, she thought I was just awful. I mean, I was a you know a drill sergeant. She likes to call me a drill sergeant. And 
she thought I was awful. But, and I probably was to her because she did plenty to, <laughs> to get in trouble for. And when, you know, when it's time for the mom to kick in, the mom had to kick in hardcore so that she would know, hey, you did the wrong thing. You have to fix this. You can't do this anymore. And if you do, then the hammer's coming down. You know, that is so important in every kid's life. And let me say something else. Structure, kids need structure. Not just because it gives them the boundaries. You know, it teaches them, hey, you can do this, but you better not cross this line or else you're going to have problems. You're going to have consequences to deal with. It also teaches them love because you only go to these limits for people that you love. My daughter had, you know, friends her age and from different, different kinds of households. And, you know, us coming from a specific kind of household where mom rules the roost <laughs> and, and there's lines that you don't cross. And they knew, my kids always knew exactly what would happen if they crossed those lines. Sometimes they were willing to chance it, not usually more than once, <laughs> but they, they knew what the, what they knew what the lines were. They knew what the punishment was, but they had friends who came from a really lax atmosphere. And at first that sounds really cool until you're up close and personal with it. And I remember my daughter telling me one time that, you know, one of her friends, they, she was just allowed to do whatever she wanted to do. And it, I mean, she did some stuff and, and she was just allowed to, and there was no punishment. There was not really much of anything, no structure. And what my daughter, what I remember my daughter telling me is that it feels like they just don't care. They don't care what she does, her parents. And I believe that I believe that that's a normal feeling. I think kids see and feel that love based on the amount of structure that's given. You don't go to those kind of lengths for people you don't love. If I didn't care what my kids did, if I didn't care about them, I would just be like, don't bother me. Go ahead. Do what you want to do. But I do love my kids, and I want them to grow up into healthy adults that you know, can give something to society, can be good participants, be good adults. And that means learning these lessons at home. I've always told my kids that this is where you learn the lesson. I'm not raising children. They're already children. I'm raising adults which means I have to teach them how to be an adult right here. Is that really a lot of fun for me? Not so much, really, not so much. But my goal is not to have fun right now. We have plenty of fun together within the rules. My goal is to make sure that they grow up into healthy adults. And that requires structure. That requires discipline. That requires me being up their butt about where they're going, who their friends are, what they're doing on their phone. Sometimes I have the phone. Sometimes they don't get that phone anymore. My kids are actually pretty good. I don't have to do a whole lot. But what I do is enough to keep them scared, <laughs> maybe. As parents, we are the first line. We are where the structure should start. We are where the teaching should start. If we as parents don't teach our kids that, you know, there's a right way and a wrong way, and if you do it the wrong way, there's going to be consequences, then once they're out in the real world, away from mom and dad, 
It's way more tempting to do it the wrong way. And eventually those consequences are going to snag them. As parents, we have to do the right thing by our kids, even if it's harder, even if it means that we don't get to be friends with our teenager. That's good. You don't need to be friends with your teenager. You need to be the parent of your teenager. And I believe if more parents felt this way and behaved this way, we wouldn't have nearly as many teenagers killing teenagers. I hope you'll come back next time and lots more in the future. We've got so many things to talk about. This week, we have done already so much and we've got so much more left to go. But I think we may talk a little bit about the potential for vertical gardening. We just got through building some cucumber tunnels, some big cucumber tunnels here at our place on Two Oaks Farmstead. And the ins and outs of vertical gardening, what it can do as far as benefiting you. And I think we may even touch on other gardening styles, gardening beds and what have you, like the Back to Eden garden. So be sure and join us back here. Meanwhile, you guys can check everything out at farmlifeandfreedom.com. Show notes are always there. And then, of course, you want to check out twooksfarmtalk.com for lots of great technical advice, farming-wise. It's got so much on there. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about the um, more sensitive side, more homey side of the farm life, the homesteading life, check out alifeonthefarm.com. And as always, check me out on the various social media, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. We're kind of all over the place over there, Farm Life and Freedom or Two Oaks Farmstead. And let's connect.